0: Father, we want to thank you for the gift of your word. We want to thank you for the freedom to to read it publicly as a community. We want to thank you for uh, even the churches all across this world that are meeting right now in the name of Jesus Christ, in the truth of Jesus Christ, receiving the word of God into their hearts. Father, as we, as this community engages your word this morning, I pray that you would reveal those things to us in our own hearts and in our own lives and our own souls that that you, you intimately know and you want to work on. This morning, I pray that the words of my mouth, Father, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. And bless the guy on call on a Sunday. <laughs> Never mind. So, we are moving closer to Christmas. Christmas Day, Christmas morning. What's the earliest? Like, how many first-time parents are here th- this morning? Like, they'll be celebrating their first Christmas with children. One, two, that's it? Okay, I know we have a lot more. Good luck. It's, Oops. Good luck. Crack of dawn comes about at the crack of dawn. And we are moving closer to Christmas morning. And there's much more to celebrate in Christmas than just. Uh, just the presents, just the Christmas tree, just the the, uh, the dinner. It's a, it, we are focusing on the coming of Jesus. And we're moving closer to that day where we celebrate that. We're moving closer to our Christmas Eve service. I'd like to invite you all out to that and, and bring friends and family. We, we'll have, we should have enough seats for everyone. It's a candlelight service, and we light candles, and we drip wax on each other, and it's awesome. And then we heal people in the name of Jesus from those burns. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's just a time of of cur- Community. I mean, if you can't burn a brother or a sister with Christmas wax, then, then why bother coming to church? And we want to invite you. It's five o'clock on Christmas Eve. But this morning, as we press into the text in Isaiah, it, it's a little bit of a it, it kind of it could rub people the wrong way a little bit. It, it could kind of push against the grain because sometimes in the scripture, it's not very flattering to human nature. Sometimes as we read the Bible, it doesn't really flatter us well. I mean, it can be very blunt. It can be very straightforward in the way it describes human nature. It can be even, dare I say, politically incorrect, the Bible, when it talks about us, when it talks about people. And so this morning, we're going to kind of press into we're going to kind of continue our journey as Isaiah is writing to people wanting them to believe the word of God, wanting them to believe what God is going to do, that he is going to bring redemption in a big way, not just to Israel, but to the whole entire world. And he's speaking to them about their unbelief. And that's where our text lands today. We're looking at Isaiah forty eighteen through 24. We just read it. I'll read it again. To whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? For as an idol, a metal worker casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught. And reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted. No sooner are they sown. No sooner do they take root in the ground. Than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. And so Isaiah is speaking to the people's unbelief. And he's kind of asking and answering the question um, in, in, in the same vein. He, he's, asking, he's asking the world, he's asking the people, what is wrong with you? What, why can't you get this? What is wrong with your thought process? And I think that we can ask the same question even today, thousands and thousands of years later. Why do people reject God? Why do people reject Jesus? It's a worthwhile question to, to wrestle with. And, and I think we've answered it in part. And we, as the church, we have to take responsibility there. Because sometimes we have turned people off to the gospel of Jesus. Sometimes it's how we treat people that turns them off to God. It's sometimes uh, the, how we show love or how we don't show love that people go, you know what, no, I, I'm not buying it. And, they, and they, they confuse people with God and they walk away from the Lord, and so we have to accept some responsibility in that. Why people don't believe, why people don't attend church, why people won't engage faith or the Scripture or the Bible, but that's not the whole answer. And Isaiah pre- is going to press into uh, the other part of it. And in fact, from verse twelve, which we started in last week, all the way to the end of this chapter, he's going to be wrestling with with this cre- with the question. Now, the foundation, really, the foundation of unbelief in god is a misunderstanding of who he really is it's a misunderstanding or an ignorance of the truth of his character and his and his nature and that ignorance is the single Problem-causing agent in the world today, an ignorance of God, the brokenness that we see and the darkness that we see in the world comes from an ignorance of the things of God, of who he is, his character and his nature, the truth of who he is. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His plans are not our plans. They're way beyond us. And sometimes they're inconceivable. We can't fully understand it. We looked into Paul's writings, into... uh, when he wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, and we talked about the, the hidden wisdom of the Lord. That we can't fully understand all that God is. All that God is doing. In fact, God is always going to stay a, a certain amount, probably more than we like to admit, a mystery. Because if we can figure him out, soup to nuts, he's no longer God. And so the finite brain has trouble wrapping itself around the eternal. And the prophet's going to dig a little bit deeper into this whole unbelief question. Deeper into the answer. He says, you still won't receive this good news. Well, what are you comparing God to then? Look at verse 18. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him to? Or will you liken him? I mean, he's he's almost desperate. Like, like what is what is wrong? Like, what are you missing? What 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 is the block that you've put up that you can't see who the Lord is? And we've we've kind of wrestled with this over the last few weeks. We as people, we are prone to doubt. We love to doubt. We love to question. And sometimes that is very very good. But when we doubt, many times we doubt because things don't fit nicely into our box of understanding, especially when it comes to things of faith, especially when it comes to God. If it doesn't kind of fit nice and tidy, then you know what? I'm not buying it. And so we can reject those things of God because it it just doesn't make any sense. It sounds too good to be true. It sounds foolish. I don't need God. I am the master of my universe, I am the master of my uh, destiny. I don't submit to anyone, I don't submit to anything. And and these are the the excuses that people will use when it comes to things, the area of faith in the Lord. I'm not going to give control to some old man in the sky with a white beard. And we make God out to be something that he's not. And so this is kind of where it begins to, to kind of uh, rub course for the church. Because if people do not believe the things of God, if people do not believe in the Lord, then we have to use this word that they are ignorant of him they are ignorant of his and i don't mean that in a derogatory sense at all but they are ignorant of who he is all of creation has been set in place by the lord he gives the cue for the morning to rise he knows where the darkness hides it's his wisdom that counts the number of clouds he sends the lightning bolt bolts forth That's in the scripture. And if we are ignorant of him, we will think that that's just all happenstance or by some cosmic mistake that took place that brought it all together. The things of the Lord are bigger and beyond us. And all creation shouts to who he is. All the nations are like a drop in the bucket before him. All the nations, all of the nations, even the United States amounts to nothing before him before the Lord our God. He weighs islands like like fine dust. If we were to take all of the trees in the world... And make a big pile and then sacrifice all of the animals in the world at the same time on that fire. It's still not enough for us to come before him. His glory is beyond words, beyond description. Yet all creation speaks to the glory of the Lord. And then in verse 5 we read this morning that, that the glory of the Lord will be revealed to all people. So all people can see it. And we know that it has been revealed in Jesus Christ. And he will come again. And yet people still don't believe. They still wrestle with belief. They still have uh, an ignorance. And he pushes the question. So so what what are you thinking about him? Who are you comparing him to? Are you comparing him to someone? Are you comparing him to something? Are you comparing him to the idols of this world? Are you comparing him to something that people have created? Are you comparing him to like princes or rulers or some great wise men? Do, do, do you think he's superhuman? He wants to help people believe. And so he's asking the hard questions to people that are walking in doubts, that are walking faithless. He, these people are going to go into exile and he wants, them to, he wants to make sure that they understand who God is. So they can get through the experience that they are going to have, and even a correct understanding of the Lord is still incomplete in the fullness of who he is. Human nature is is human nature we as a species we have evolved in a lot of ways science and, and medicines and technology and and, and, you know all, all of these things. I mean when Isaiah was writing this, they didn't even have iPhones. I, I mean how barbaric to live in a time where there's no iPhones. And so we have evolved so far from from this point in time but we will always be who we are at the core of who we are this this doesn't evolve. The world has been broken then, before then, now and into the future. And so their story is our story. Our story, our story is their story. And he presses them. And and, and he's asked, you know, you, you, you people believe in things. You do believe in things. You have, we all believe in something. You have made your idols. You put your faith in idols. You 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 you, um, you identify these people, these rulers, these princes, and you follow them. You put your faith in them. You hope that they are going to get you through, but you won't believe in God. You won't believe in the creator of all things. He's dealing with human nature. He's dealing with the attitudes of people. He's dealing with the darkness of the human hearts, not just in behavior, but what's on the inside. We are so prone as people to believe the words and promises of other people. And, and, we, and we have this track record in humanity that 's really not all that good, and yet and yet we are more prone to believe what someone says than we are to believe the Word of the Lord. We are so so uh, prone we 're so easily swayed by uh, good conversation, political um, speeches and all those things that we want to put our hope in people, but yet we'll reject. The word of God, unbelief in the word of God is our ultimate undoing in the garden. What happens? The devil came to the woman and said, are you sure God said that? That was the sin. The fruit was just the consequence of it. Are you sure God said that she doubted? She doubted the word of the Lord. You know, I, I was thinking as I was preparing uh, for this week, what if, what if like the whole entire world right now believed the word of God? I mean, just, just, just what if everyone in the world believed correctly who God is, his character, and his nature? What if the entire world followed Jesus Christ? I know that's, I know that's really um, hypothetical. And and so I, and, and it's kind of like a pie-in-the-sky thing, but I was thinking about it, and then really, um, I don't know. Like, like, what would the world look like? I have no idea. Like, I don't even have a real hypothetical answer, which, hearing me say that sounds a little bit like an oxymoron, but, but, but you know what I mean? I mean, I don't even know. What would the world look like if we all believed in the world, uh, the Word of God? But if we've been saying that humanity's problem and brokenness comes from doubting who the Lord is, doubting the Word of God, unbelief in the Word of God, and if that did not exist, well, I guess you can do the math. Maybe the world would be a little bit of a different place. Now, this is where it 's going to get a little complicated for us this is where it 's difficult and we as the church we have to be very careful here because again the bible 's pretty straightforward with um, with the way it, it speaks it 's politically incorrect um, and it speaks the Bible the scripture talks a lot about um, it talks a lot about sin and arrogance and pride and the darkness of the human heart and, and we understand that but it also talks about um, those who do not believe in God. And we have to be very careful. We can't be flippant in the truth that the, the scriptures teach about that. We have to know know it in our hearts, but we have to do this this dance of faith for those who may not believe, for those who are struggling with belief. Now, this is what the Bible ta- says about people who don't believe. It's in Psalm 14.1. It's in Psalm 53, one. The first um, verse of those two psalms says this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's the way the scripture says describes someone who doesn't believe. Now, the Hebrew word, the definition used for that word fool is a person who acts unwisely, someone who is tricked or duped, uh, someone who's not thinking straight, or they're lacking judgment. That's the way the Bible describes a fool. A fool in his heart says there is no God. In Luke chapter 12, there's a, Jesus tells a story, a parable, and um, the title of it is The Rich Fool. And this guy, he's, he's making lots of money. He's making lots of bank. And he's got to build bigger storehouses, man. He's just like, whoa, look at this, all the stuff I'm making. And, he, and he's like, man, what, you know what? I think, I think I'm just going to build some storehouses bigger. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just bank all my, my, uh, my stuff, whatever he was growing. And, and I'm going to just kick back, take it easy. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. And I'm going to party. And then God steps in and says, you fool. Tonight you're going to die. Then who gets all of this stuff? See, the Bible is very explicit when it speaks to people who think that they are their own king, that they are their own ruler, those who uh, believe that they're actually in charge of life. The Scripture speaks to those who think that all they need is their human intelligence, ingenuity. They don't need the crutch that God is. In fact, religion is for those who have a, a weak constitution. And God would say, you fool, you fool. Not in a, not in a derogatory way, not to mock us, but I think it's a, it's a sadness that he has because it is so serious not to believe. You fool. The prophet speaks into the foolishness of humanity. And says, You don't believe in God? You don't believe in him? Well, what do you believe in? I mean, if you don't worship God, if you don't honor him, if you don't believe in him, then we're all believing in something. And so what are you worshiping? What are you honoring? What are you putting your what are you putting your faith in? What have you made a priority other than God? And then he answers the question. Verse 19 and 20. As for an idol. A metal worker casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. We make the idol. It's been happening. It was happening then. It's It's still happening today. And those people with lots of money, they can afford really nice idols. They can afford the big ones, the more expensive ones. And they put a lot of time and effort into creating them. And they believe those are the things that are going to get them through. They put their faith in them. They honor them. They look to them for their salvation. They worship them. And then verse 20 is very interesting. There's a couple, as I was reading through and studying the people that are way smarter than I am, uh, there's all these different camps on verse 20. And I think I fall into two of them. I don't know if that's theologically correct, but... That's where I land. And the first is that, that even those that don't have a lot of money will make their own idols. Even those that aren't wealthy, they will find something. They will do their best to find something to make an idol in their life. And they will worship that. And they will put their faith in that. And they will follow it. Even if you don't have money. making Idolatry knows no socioeconomic limit or barrier. There's something there. And then and then this other flip side of this is is I was looking and and I don't know if both of them can go together, but I think this morning they're going to have to that people will make themselves poor. Creating, getting, establishing idols for themselves in their life. They will make themselves poor until all they can all they can muster is something a little bit, something a little smaller, something a little a little less, but they still need something to worship. They still need something and they're willing, they're willing to do it, to whatever it takes to make an idol. Make it out of wood. It's part of our Western culture, isn't it? Bigger and better, and more, more expensive idols. If you love that person, and you want to keep that person safe, you will buy them the Lexus for this Christmas. And you will put a bow on it. And then we have to spend so much energy trying to keep them safe. We have to keep them clean, proper. We have to make sure that they don't topple. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. In, in this ancient time, if an idol fell over, that was bad mojo right there. If somebody scratches your Lexus, so you park it this way in the parking lot, you protect it. I would if I had a Lexus. In fact, my car is the car that the Lexus doesn't drive by to make sure they don't park next to me. All too often, we claim intellectual superiority. People don't seem to like the weakness of Jesus. People are too smart for the gospel, but yet they believe in something, they follow something, they will worship something. They will make a god out of something that is not god, and that's the sin that's described in Romans chapter one. And so we think of things like wealth and position and status and clothes and cars, and we've 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 made them an idol. And then the people who have the wealth, the status, the position, the clothes, and the cars, we we like those people. How often do we follow the rich and famous? How many lame TV shows are on TV about really rich people, and we just sit there and just watch their life? And and personally, me, I just want to point every one of them right in the eye in the name of Jesus. I would do it in love. Um, but we want we're so enamored with following the rich and famous you know the pop star katie perry supposedly she kissed a girl and liked it i'm not quite sure about that but she has 61 million twitter followers 60 and there's only one thing that's more horrifying than that justin bieber has 50, over 57 million Twitter followers. There are over 57 million people in our world that care what that weenie has to say in 140 characters or less. And I, 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 Dennis, the, Bi, the Bible says that you should not call somebody a fool. You're in danger of the fire of hell. No, the Bible does not say that. The Bible says that you should not call somebody, who, somebody a fool who is not a fool. The Bible t- calls people who are fools, fools all the time. And that boy, he's a weenie. I, I'm, just, I'm just throwing it out there. In fact, when I heard that, when I read that, I wanted to take an ice pick and jam it into my temple and then just hand in my membership to humanity because I'm like, you got to be kidding me. 57 million people? Do you realize if he can get them to send him a dollar? 57 million dollars. We'd have a new building. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. (laughs) I don't even know where I am in my notes. Um, Okay, here I am. (laughs) Sorry. I'm better now. And so he (laughs) continues. Who is this? Isaiah, not Justin. Uh, Isaiah continues to press in to this whole idea of of unbelief and that you're setting yourselves up for failure. You're following the wrong thing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught, love that word, and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows on them, and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. (laughs) People go after the most worthless things. And yes, they look all nice and shiny and they look cool, but they amount to nothing. Look at what Psalm 115 says. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, that cannot smell. I'm thinking that's a politician right there. He's describing it right there. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. So will all who trust in them. These are the idols that we, humanity, have put our faith in. They amount to nothing. In chapter 46, Isaiah will write, and I'm going to summarize and paraphrase, that idols are things that we have to care for, that we have to sustain. But the Lord, our God, he is the one who, who will sustain and care for us. We put our faith in everything. And I'm talking, I'm not just talking out there. I'm talking in the church too. The church has an idol problem. The church has an idolatry problem. And we don't like to, we don't like to voice that, but it's it's rampant. It is the darkness of the human heart. And we follow those things and we press into those things and they lead us nowhere. Look around the world. Look at, look at our culture. Maybe examine your own heart for a minute. You know, when life hits, when the darkness is, is, is so dark, when, when the weight of brokenness is crushing your shoulders, what will your idols do for you then? What will they do for you then? When, when doubt is, is bigger than everything else, when fear, it just, it sucks your last breath out of your lungs. Where will your idols be then? When, when the doctor may say, there's nothing else that we can do. Where will your idols be for you then? And yet we still... We still regard human wisdom and philosophy and world leaders and governments as as the thing. But is anything any better? Have they fixed the worlds? Have they repaired the darkness of the human heart? Have they fulfilled the hope that we've put in them? I mean, we have people cutting off the heads of people. People. On the video to make a point. In in our human wisdom, and, and listen, I'm not I'm not coming. Again, I don't want. I'm not political. Um, I support our military 100 one hundred and a thousand percent. But in our human wisdom, the only way we can stop them is to kill them before they'll kill more people. That's the only way. Have our governments, have our rulers, have our princes, have our wise men and women, have they? Fix the darkness of the human heart. Our idols of humanity have failed us. Yet we believe in them and we won't believe in the Creator of humanity. Psalm 46, a great psalm. In that psalm, it says, Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolation that He brought. Come and see that He makes wars cease across the whole earth that he breaks the bow he shatters the spear he burns the shields it's the god it's our god the lord almighty that's enthroned above the circle of uh, of the earth His sovereignty, he remains sovereign. He is sovereign over all creation, over history. History belongs to him. And yes, he has allowed sin to come in the world, but he has never or will never relinquish his sovereignty over his creation. The wisdom of the Lord that we cannot conceive. And we want to build our towers of Babel higher and higher and higher. And what does he do? He blows on them and they wither and they fall. Throughout history, many a ruler, many an empire has tried to be God, has tried to rule the worlds. Over and over again, empires will rise, great and mighty empires. And what happens to them? God blows on them and they wither and they fall. They might have had their moment in time, but our God is sovereign over all time. We put our faith in them. So what's all this have to do with Christmas? Great question. Thanks for asking. Because I was running out of room here. What are we supposed to do with this? Uh, as a church, it's Advent. It's week three. Next week's week four, and then Christmas. We're getting close. There's an urgency in the Christmas message. There's an urgency for the church to embody. The Christmas message. The good news of the gospel. Because this is this is the reality. People who believe wrongly about God, people who don't believe in God, those postures have eternal consequences. Are, are you following me? Eternal consequences. It doesn't matter if people don't believe. God is God. It doesn't change who he is. Our unbelief has no effect on him, has no effect on his judgment, has no effect over his sovereignty. It doesn't relieve us of being in his presence no matter what. And so doubts, lack of understanding, it doesn't mean he's not there. Hebrews chapter 10, it it speaks about the wrath of God for those who do not believe, for the wicked. And then in, in verse 31, it says, what a dreadful thing. What a dreadful thing it's to fall into the hands of the living God. Eternal consequences. The Christmas message is an important one. And I hope you've been sharing it. Because there's so many people that don't want to believe. There's so many people that choose not to believe. People. Too many people have been hurt or turned off by just misinformed, well-intentioned Christian people. Too many people have walked away from God, walked away from the community of faith because, because there are mean-spirited people who call themselves Christian but don't even have a, a spark of the love of Jesus in them. The Christmas message is important that we would speak we would speak Jesus into the idols of this world. And yet in all of our rebellion and in all of our ignorance and arrogance and unbelief, God loves us beyond what we can ever comprehend. That he sent his one and only son. He has revealed that love in all of creation. He has revealed that love throughout history. He has revealed that love, the birth of his son, Jesus. Jesus. And so all of creation, all of history points to the love of God. Christmas points to the love of God. But ultimately, Christmas, Christmas is the starting gate. Christmas is the starting line that Jesus would be on this journey to the cross. You know, if you remove the Christmas story out of the scripture, you would lose a few chapters and a couple of the gospels. If you take the cross, if you take the cross out of scripture, we have no New Testament. We don't have forgiveness. We don't have God's grace, mercy, and love that, that that was poured out upon us. See, Christmas is the starting gate to the cross, the ultimate display of love. And that's the gospel, isn't it? The gospel is God telling all of humanity, come, come back to me. Come back to me so I can love you and bless you all of your days on this earth. Come back to me so I can heal you. Come back to me so I can make you whole. The gospel is is God telling all of humanity, "Come, come be my possession so I can possess you into new and abundant life. Come back to me so that one day, one day you will take part in my glory forever and ever. Is the season of the gospel message. And so for us as a church, we could speak, we could speak into the idols of the world because we possess the life from the one true God that we would give ourselves wholly to him without question, recklessly abandoning ourselves And that we would allow him to work those idols out of our own life. Don't think we're perfect because we sit in a church on a Sunday morning and you listen to the bald guy. We have our own. And shame on us. We know the truth. But even in that, God raises us out of that shame. Raises us out of that guilt and says, I love you. And I'm going to love you today into new life tomorrow, into new life the next day. It's the gospel. It's the Christmas story. Share Christmas. Father, we want to thank you that you are gentle and loving with us. Father, we want to thank you that that we don't get what we deserve in our humanness, but we get the righteousness, the adoption that Jesus has poured out to us. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for love and mercy and grace. Now may we be now we may we be lights of that grace. May we be a light for that love. May we speak into the world the gospel of Jesus. We love you. We love you. We love you. It's in that precious name that we pray. The Son of God, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. I'll see you next week. One more week till Christmas.